Well, as I said during the children's sermon, we're in the middle, well, actually we're at the end of our stewardship campaign here. And um, we're, this is the third in a series, and uh, since those of you that weren't here, I'll, I will recap for you. Um, you know, we talked the first week about how uh, stewardship is not about fundraising. Fundraising and asset raising or asset management, uh, that can be one part of stewardship, but it's not really the whole picture. We talked about stewardship being rooted in Sabbath, in rest. We said that, you know, we're not uh, human doings, as a friend of mine says. We're human beings, right? And so um, we, we talked about Moses dedicating the temple and how uh, he tells the Israelites before they begin worshiping, before they begin doing the work that God has called them to do, that they root themselves in rest, that their identity is Sabbath, that they're not made to be productive, they're not objects for God to use, they are people to be loved and delighted in. And so we said too that uh, stewardship is as much about knowing when and what to give as it is knowing when to quit giving, when to give something up. And then last week, I'm totally gonna butcher her sermon, but Pastor Sarah talked about uh, the diversity of gifts that God calls for in the kingdom that God wants us to see everything that we have to offer as part of what we can give to build the kingdom. And she also said, you know, uh, stewardship is not just about giving things. It's not just about the objects that are given or the money, whatever it is. It's also about paying attention to what God is up to in the world, right? It's about noticing where the cloud of God is moving, where the spirit is headed. And this week, we are going to trot out... Um, what I think is like the, the only stewardship verse that's, that's often used, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, God loves a cheerful giver. And, and many churches have used this to say, you know, since God loves a cheerful giver, you should give us all of your money and do it with a giant smile on your face. So we're going to look at that verse this morning. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. 
Now the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, we do thank you for today, and God, we thank you for your word, and God, we just thank you for time set aside to ponder it. Lord, this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, and whatever words we would hear would be yours, and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. So some of you may know this. Um, I'm in, a, I'm in a doctoral program right now for ministry, and um, it's been, uh, you know, maybe it wasn't my greatest decision when we were moving across the country to start a doctoral program and then have a child and then move into a new house and, and uh, effectively um, take on all of the stress of the world in some ways. But I'm, I'm in this doctoral program that uh, we're studying creative writing, so it's not, you know, too serious, but it's, it's fun, and uh, theology. And it's part of the program, it's been pretty difficult to this point, but one of the um, professors recently assigned us with kind of an easy, easy assignment, I, I thought at least. And um, he, he said to us, his name's Jimmy Cajolis, he's a, he's a fiction writer, you should actually check out some of his work. Um, the Good Demon is one of his books, Minor Prophets is another, he does really, really fantastic work, I think. But Jimmy said to us, he said, okay, for your last assignment in this class, here's what I want you to do, I want you to write a fan letter to an author that you admire. Think of someone whose books you really like or maybe articles or whatever it is, but I want you to write them a fan letter. And just tell them how much you admire their work, tell them you know, what you liked about it. Like these are, these are good things to do for people and he wants us to spread some cheer and some generosity in an industry that I, I guess is notorious for maybe not having <laughs> those things. And so uh, while we were having the discussion about maybe, you know, what we would say, someone asked the question, well, you know, could we maybe ask them if we could have a phone call or maybe we could sit down for lunch with them at some time or, you know, they, they thought, how, how far can we take this? Does it just have to be admiration or can we push the envelope? Now, when this person said this, I kind of rolled my eyes at them. I was like, oh, don't be that person. Don't be the person that asks this busy author that you really admire if you can have more of their time because you love their book. I bet they get those requests all the time, right? No one wants to get a letter like that. Well, after the class, you know, I thought the assignment would be easy and I spent, was it like two weeks agonizing over my words? Uh, and I think I wrote like a 150 word letter to him, um, this author that I admire. Uh, but it, it was, I found it really hard to express Gratitude to someone I really don't know, you know, that I, I, I never met him, I'd never spoken to him, and so it, it, was, it was pretty difficult. Um, 
And so two weeks and about 100, 150 words later, I have this letter. And I, I, want, you, I want to read it to you, actually. Um, and I'm not going to share the name of this person. I, di I didn't have a chance to ask him if I could share this story. Um, if you want to know privately after the service, you can come up and ask me, and I'll, I'll recommend his book to you. So we'll call him John. So I wrote to John. I said, hey, John, I bought, and then insert the name of his book, when it came out. And I started it, and then I threw it across the room almost immediately. I was Luke. It's one of the main characters. And Luke was me. And I wasn't ready to relive the abuse or the neglect, shattered dreams. There are so many Tobys. This is another main character. There are so many Tobys from my childhood, too, that your book made me feel afraid. It was like trespassing on my soul, whatever that means. Anyway, I finally read the end yesterday, and I wept. What a gift. Thank you. So I sent him this letter, and I'm thinking he's, he's never going to respond. And I didn't add anything else. You know, I signed my name, and that was it. And I think, this is going to be the end of that. I check my assignment off the box. I'm a, I'm a good doctoral student. You know, I sent my letter, and here I am moving on to the next class. Well, that, I'm not joking. 26 minutes later, I get a response that's four times as long as my letter, okay? And he's so excited I read the book, and he wants to tell me about it. And he asks me if I have time for a phone call. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what world am I living in? And he gives me, like, dates and times that, like, I could meet with him, that he's available, that he would love to just have a conversation about anything. You know, he asked me if I wrote and if I wanted to talk about my writing and if there was anything that I could share with him that he could read since I had spent so much time reading his book. And I just was blown away, you know, so I, I said, sure, yeah, we set up a time. We talked two days later, and then I'm, I'm not kidding you. I was on the phone for... 90 minutes or more, and like I had to tell him, hey man, I gotta go, <laughs> like I have other things to do, I can't, <laughs> I can't keep talking to you. He just wanted to keep sharing and listening and asking these questions. And I, I was blown away by it because he was so generous. And the thing that I thought he would be reluctant to give, right, the thing that I thought he would begrudgingly offer was the thing that actually he loved to do. He would have talked to me for three hours. He sent me a follow-up email after we hung up and said, hey, I'd love to set up another time just to chat. Do you have any availability? And I thought, oh my gosh, this is just pouring out of his soul. Spend time with those who love the things that he loves. To pour into younger folks that are on their way up, hopefully. We've all encountered someone like that, haven't we? I mean, I, I, hope, I hope we have. Someone who has been so generous with their time, so generous with their gifts, with their talents, so generous with their attention. Have we all experienced someone like that at some point? Yeah, a few of you. I'll, I'll pray for the rest of you that aren't raising your... No, I, I mean, I, I hope we have because when we encounter those people in the world, I, I think it changes us. I mean, my whole paradigm was flipped upside down that the one that I thought wouldn't have any time for me actually <laughs> wanted too much of my time. <laughs> we love those people. We love those that love to give. And we love people that just their passion just pours out of them.
So Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians, and this, this is his last letter to them, and I believe I read somewhere, it's actually the fourth letter that he writes. We're missing uh, two in the middle. So we have 1 Corinthians, and then there were two more letters, and then this, this is kind of his last letter to them, and, and I, they're, they're kind of a tough group. They're, they're actually a really, really tough group. Um, they're very wealthy, have a lot of privilege, we might say, today. They, um, every single one of them has an opinion, too. If something's happening in their church, everyone has an opinion about how it should go and why their way is right, and it's just been, it's been kind of a difficult group. Paul visited them uh, a few years prior to writing this letter to them and, and helped establish the community, helped get them going, helped teach them a little bit, coach them along. And then he had to go because his job, you know, he's, he's a missionary. He's planting churches all over the world at this time. And so he takes off and goes, but they keep sending him these letters and they're asking questions and they want answers to all of these things. And one of the things that they, they want an answer to is why they should continue to follow Paul. Why should they continue to follow Paul? You know, and they give him this whole list of reasons of why they shouldn't. Uh, first, uh, apparently he's not a very good preacher, you know, which it, it hits home here for me. It's like, gosh, if, if someone wrote that and said, I, you know, I don't want to come to your church, Pastor Garrett, because you're not a good preacher, oh, that would be devastating. So, you know, I, I feel for Paul in that sense. Um, they, they don't think he's a good preacher. They don't think he looks the part either. And I, I found this strange. I wonder what a, a missionary or a prophet or a teacher at that time needed to look like for them to trust him. But they, they don't think Paul looks the part. It might be because he's, he's kind of short, I guess, and he's scraggly. And he's, he's always on the road, so he's traveling. And he's, he's maybe not as polished and pretty as he could be. And, you know... They don't really like his teaching. I think Paul's probably pretty direct with them, and they're not, they're not receiving that well, and there's fighting in and amongst themselves. And, and so Paul writes them this last letter, and he spends most of the letter kind of justifying himself, saying, here's, here's why. Here's why you need to <laughs> accept me as one of your teachers. You know, and one of the things he says, he's like, you exist. <laughs> That you are a community right now, gathered, listening to this letter, right? That's proof of <laughs> my work and my authority. He, sa- he says that to them. And he goes on, he lists some other reasons. And you know, and you might think this is the whole reason that he wrote this letter, was to kind of clap back at them and say, hey, you know, you need to, uh, you need to respect me because I, I did all of this for you. But I, I actually don't think that's the reason. Even though he spends more than half the book justifying himself. I, I think he's got a different reason. And that reason is this collection that we heard about in chapter 9. Now, this collection was something that all of the churches that Paul had planted and some of his disciples had planted, they would participate in. So what they would do is, is um, the, the churches that were struggling maybe a little bit more and their Christian brothers and sisters that were uh, experiencing more extreme forms of poverty, the wealthy churches would redistribute some of their wealth and they would pass it around. And Paul was a key organizer in that. Now, Paul's doing this, one, because of the gospel command, because of what he thinks Jesus wanted uh, folks to do and, and what scripture in the Old Testament tells us to do. But I think he's also doing it because Paul is always, always concerned with unity in his letters. Unity, unity, unity. There is no longer Jew nor Greek. He always wants us to come under one 
roof. And I think this is maybe the thing that is keeping these churches connected, this gift, this offering that they take up, this collection that is made. And so Paul is sending a few people to get this collection, and he's sending this final letter to the Corinthians. And I, I think after this, he's, he's kind of like, I'm, I am done with this group. I am done with this group. But they promised to give this collection, and so he wants to see it through. And he tells them that. He says, look, you said you were going to do this. I want you to do this, but I guess if you're not there anymore, if you don't want to give anymore, then don't. Because no one likes a begrudging or reluctant giver. I want you to give what you love to give. And he says something like, God loves the one who loves to give. He doesn't want them to be reluctant. He doesn't want them to do it angrily. Because no one really likes a person like that, do they? I, uh, I, I spent summers with my father in Florida, and we would go fishing a lot on his boat. And it's one of my favorite things to do with my father, even to this day. And uh, when, when I was a little kid, like, I think like 10 or 11, I would go down there, and he was just starting a new business. He was a boat mechanic, and then he, he kind of grew that, and he started selling boats, and then he bought property and all this, but he, he was always kind of hustling and doing something. And if you know anyone that's a small business owner, you know that they get like no days off ever. Uh, they're always working, they're always on, and it's just, it's kind of a constant grind, you know, especially those early years when you're really trying to build it. And so, I, you know, I didn't know this as a 10 or 11-year-old kid. I just knew I, I was going down to visit my father, and um, I wanted to go fishing with him whenever I could. And there, there was one day where he had to, um, he used to do like house calls to fix boats. He was kind of like an old school like boat doctor. So if you called, he would, he would come out, he'd fix it there so you didn't have to tow it all the way to his shop. And he would take me on, on some of these trips sometimes. And uh, there was one time, I remember we showed up at someone's house and like I just did not want to be there at all. And I felt really impatient. I felt really agitated. I was like, oh, we're going to work again. You know, this is my summer break, dad. Like I want to do something else. And I just kept asking him, Dad, can we go fishing? Dad, can we go fishing? <laughs> like an annoying, like, you know, six-year-old might. <laughs> Dad, can we go fishing? Dad, please, please. And finally, finally, he kind of like snapped, and he was like, fine. Do you want to go fishing? Let's go fishing. And he drops his tools right in that person's garage, and he scoops me up, and we go into the car, and, you know, we went home, we grabbed the fishing poles, we drove to some random beach. I don't even think he knew where he was going. And we get on the dock, and he, you know, hooks my pole up, and we cast it out there, and he goes, there, we're fishing. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm not doing this. Like, I, I love my father, and I know he's stressed, and I know he's trying to juggle, like, being, you know, uh, a parent that's doing childcare, starting a new business, the pressures of supporting. So, you know, I, I want to show grace toward him. But in that moment, like, I wanted to go fishing, but he did not want to go fishing, right? And so we stood there. We didn't catch anything. And I think we just kind of, like, didn't talk, and it was awkward. You could feel the tension. And pretty soon, I, I actually didn't want <laughs> to go fishing either, you know? When we do the things that we really don't want to do and we give them to people and we're reluctant, we're begrudging, and there's something in our heart that's just like stopping us from being fully present there, I don't know how worth it it is to give those things. 
Have you ever been around someone like that where like they're giving you something you've asked for and it's clear that they don't want to give that to you? Man, it's rough. It's so rough. And this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. He's like, look, you don't want to give it? Don't give it. It's fine. Whatever. Because you promised that you were going to do that and all these other people are counting on you to do it and you're, you know, you're kind of the wealthy church that makes up a lot of this bag. And so I, if you don't want to, don't do it, but give something. Send something along. Give something. Search deep in your heart, Paul says, and offer something from there, whatever that is. He just wants them to give because he knows that giving is as good for them as it is for the people receiving. But he doesn't want them to do it if they're resistant to it, because that's not going to be good for anyone involved. He wants the giving to come from the heart, from passion, from desire. Sarah and I went to two concerts yesterday. We're not really like concert, I, I don't think we're concert people, are we? No, we just happen to have a Saturday in October. We have two concerts that we're going to. The first one was uh, with this band um, at the DSO, and it was like a children's band. They sing like silly songs, so we were singing Wheels on the Bus, um, Patty Cake, what were some other ones? <laughs> SpongeBob SquarePants at one point. Um, but the DSO, it was really cool. So they pulled all the bleachers back from their auditorium. So it was just kind of this like flat area and they give you like these um, really not comfy cushions when you walk in to say, if you want to sit down, you can, but it's, it's really not that comfortable. The idea is that you would be up with your kids, you know, and, and you'd be dancing and having fun and being silly, la, 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 la. Well, we get there and there are all these kids in their costumes and Naima, she's not even two yet. She's, I think, feeling kind of overwhelmed by all of it a little overstimulated because she's seeing ghosts and pumpkins and dinosaurs and all these things that she's just learning about and they're moving and they're walking and so she's she's kind of like shell-shocked a little bit and just taking it all in and she doesn't really want to dance and play. On top of that, you know, the music, and this is not a shot at the, the band that was playing, this is not really the kind of music that you dance to. I mean, may, maybe you do with SpongeBob SquarePants, like, I don't, I don't really put that on and think, yeah, I'm gonna groove to this. Um, you know, they're silly songs for kids, but there are a lot of parents that were up, including myself, including Sarah, who are up dancing and trying to get the kids to dance, and you're trying to be very happy, and you're almost forcing it, you know? Now, I wouldn't say, like, we're doing it begrudgingly because we love our daughter, but I, it's, it's kind of painful to force the dance to SpongeBob SquarePants when you don't really want to do that. <laughs> but the other option is to sit on an incredibly uncomfortable floor. So we're kind of forcing it, you know, we're kind of forcing it, and it's just not, and it was fun. She had a good time. She has to leave about 26 minutes in. She said, mm, all done, all done. And so we left. The second concert we went to, though, was a guy named uh, Kevin Morby. If you haven't heard of Kevin Morby, he's kind of an alternative folk singer from L.A., does wonderful stuff. I highly recommend his album, Oh My God, Oh My God. Um, but we, we went there, uh, Sarah got me these tickets uh, for Father's Day, so we've been waiting quite a bit to go see him, and we show up and uh, just kind of waiting for the music to start, but once he finally goes on, he starts with like 
everyone's favorite Kevin Morby song, you know? And so everyone that was talking and like having drinks and, and having a good time together, they all just kind of stop and conversations quit and they look forward and pretty soon like eyes close and then you just start like the whole crowd's like swaying and like some people put their hands up and I looked at Sarah and I was like, this is worship. <laughs> like this is worship in some ways because people can't help but start moving. All those conversations they were so interested in, everything that they were, they were so uh, into in that moment just stopped because that music began and they couldn't help but move their bodies to it, including me, and I don't like dance in front of people, but I'm, I was swaying and like we're, you're just caught up in something so much bigger than you, right? This is stewardship for Paul. This is stewardship for Paul. Paul doesn't want you forcing the dance. Paul wants it just erupting inside of you so that you can't do anything else other than dance. Paul wants you to follow your passions and your desires so that the thing that you're doing and you're giving to others is just the thing that keeps coming from this endless and infinite place. He doesn't want you grumbling about your giving. He doesn't want you sticking it out and being almost toxically positive about the situation, saying, I know it's hard, but God's going to be faithful at the end. If I just suffer through this, then at the end I'll get blah, blah, blah. I don't think that that's how that works. I don't think that's how that works. Stewardship is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of our relationship with God, our relationship with our neighbors, with our friends. It's about the soul. And so I hope we all, as we end this stewardship season, as we think about the ways that we want to give back to God, because God is so freely and generously given to us, I hope that the first thing you'll do is not run to your pocketbook and just write a check, or not just sign up to give time to something that the pastors have been begging people to sign up for for years, right? I hope that you go to God in prayer, and I hope you ask legitimately, God, What is it that I love to give? Where are my passions? Where are my desires? What can't I not do for others? And I hope you'll find that answer. And I hope you'll begin to let go of all those other things that kind of leave you restricted or feeling grumbly or begrudging. I hope you'll let go of those. And I hope you'll give the thing that you love to give. The thing that others are going to love to receive from you. I hope that you're generous with your gifts, whatever they may be. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would speak to all of our hearts here this morning. Show us those things that we're so passionate about, that we love to give to others, that we love to share with others, God. I pray that you would give us the courage and the motivation to chase after those, to be good stewards of the gifts and the skills and the passions and the desires that you have placed in our hearts. God, I pray that we would know that when we do that, we are bringing your kingdom to earth. In Jesus' name, amen.